0: Welcome to The Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association provides creative opportunities for all ages. Get creative with us at the Mesquite Fine Arts Center, 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com or on Facebook, The Art Box.
1: Steve, it's been a fantastic day today. We stopped at yeah. the Marjorie Barrick Museum of Art <laughs> nice and looked evening. at their emotional show. And here we are in Core Contemporary,
2: Core Contemporary. Is the
1: gallery Core Arts Concord is the nonprofit,
2: and we're here with Nancy. This is the first time we met you, but it's like I've known you all my life.
3: <laughs> well, welcome. I think we should feel like we know people all of our lives. Let me put away the sharp objects. <laughs>
1: I was like, oh yeah, I was cutting things, cutting uh, stencils and stuff yesterday. Your work is amazing. It has so much color and texture. I just loved going through your gallery. Thanks. It's fantastic. Thanks.
2: And i like to, besides your gallery, the whole area here, is, it's made for arts. Is that, can explain a little about the whole shopping center here?
3: Um, the intention, hopefully, is to get to it, it being another arts and culture center for Las Vegas, um, you know, district of sorts. We were on the way to having that happen, and then the property owner passed away, uh, you know, a couple years ago, and that uh, really Put a lot of things on hold or screech to a halt and now the county owns the property uh this building there and and the, the four buildings part of new orleans square so we're still waiting to see what's going to happen uh what their uh, you know plans are for the for the area but it's uniquely suited for
1: being an arts and and culture district
2: yeah unique is the word mm-hmm. it is unique
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah nancy you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started with art and <laughs> I should be looking at your notes <laughs> <laughs> and you said you have synesth-
3: synesthesia. synesthesia. yes a, a form of synesthesia yes mm-hmm. um, that's where our senses um, do you know our individual senses do something a little bit more than what you know like sense of hearing or sense of taste or touch or smell or sight I have an acute sense of vibration. I'm a musician, and that's, that's. I'm sure, exactly where that's connected to that everything vibrates to me. And so when I'm looking at something, experiencing something, hearing something, it's like, you know, it's like the, the wings of the butterfly. I mean, the, you know, the vibrations and the movement of, of wind, but it's also how do I use that sense of vibration visually um, to, to express and help maybe inform the viewer
1: what that feels like, even though even if they don't get it, it's okay. So you were telling us about synesthesia and how you feel the vibrations? Mm -hmm. Vibrations and
3: and also, you know, if we are studying any sort of science, we understand that everything is vibrating at, you know, various speeds. You know, the higher the speed, the harder the object, the softer the speed, or the lower the speed, you know, it's you know, like a liquid is a lower speed than a solid and uh, and so I can't put my fingers through my desk but I can put it into water which is vibrating the molecules are vibrating around me and we're the same way with our bodies um, everything's vibrating and so visually I use uh, color theory and and repetition and mark making to express that vibration and uh, you know, so you'll see things that visually will kind of play with the eyes Mm -hmm. um one of the best com comments i ever had from a six-year-old art critic uh (laughs) who came to see my show at the winchester cultural center was that made their eyes feel funny and and it's like yes you get it you know because the the comp the competing by visual vibrations of the colors were Helping, you know, express that vibration
1: to that six-year-old viewer. Well, let's take it back to when you were six. Oh, Did yeah, you... Yeah. Were you always <laughs> interested in way art to go, and music? <laughs> nice segue.
3: <laughs> yes, I would say I've always been interested in art and creativity, um, music. My mother's a gifted singer and also gifted in creative expression. Let's put it that way. She has a childlike sense um, as far as artistry and drawing and illustration but she can copy almost anything beautifully brilliantly um, without a lot of uh, training different mediums her interests in arts and crafts and things like that were definitely part of our early relationship i mean i learned how to cook and sew when i was six years old you know so it's like things that the Revelation that you can create something with your hands or with your mind. Musically, learning how to play piano or guitar or things like that. Visually, as far as what I do now, it took me a long time to get back to being full-time visual artist did study you know art in college but also was uh, classically trained in college my, my major was uh, vocal performance and then also english you know writing creative writing and literature and uh but art was a very important part of my coursework um, that i you know always loved and then made a lot of music uh over my lifetime and then came back to the visual side of things through photography and sp- spent quite a number of years uh, focused on fine art photography abstract uh, photography digital compositing di- digital design via the photographic uh, you know path and realized that it's like you know i still love painting and i still love drawing and and, uh, and so got back to that 15 years ago and uh, and within the last 10 12 years definitely full steam ahead. What kind of music were you involved in? That has been quite broad over the years. My mother was a, a jazz and big band singer. Um, oh, wow. Singer. And Where at? In all over the place. So we mm-hmm. were Air Force, military, oh, okay. so her interests definitely instilled, you know, Uh, an interest in me uh, but also the like like the exhibition out there the DNA connection of creativity and talent you know is is talent part of our DNA, and I believe it is. Um, And so, you know, I was uh, a natural musician, natural singer. So I've done everything from opera, classical music, to Dixieland jazz, to um, show tunes, to hard rock and roll, to yodeling to blues. Uh, was a singer-songwriter for many years living out of a van uh, with my two Pekingese touring the Northwest and then even moved you know, down here for a period of time and played music and did cruise gigs playing music. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> Man, so you've done everything.
1: <laughs> well, a lot of things. You mentioned exhibit you currently have Mm -hmm. in your gallery Mm -hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about that and what the theme is yeah so it's called keeping up with the Joneses and the
3: Joneses are a father and two sons and I had been bugging uh, Sean C. Jones the father for years um, you know from the moment I opened the gallery to submit an exhibition proposal uh, because I've always been a fan of his work and I um, Uh, He's got a very unique illustrative aesthetic, um, you know, contemporary, but just solid. I mean, it's just endlessly fascinating. And he, you know, he does drawings a day, pen and ink on paper, and... The last time he'd shown his work was just in you know, a tiny space, Nevada Humanities. Um, you know, great, great venue as well. If you guys don't know Bobby Ann Howell, you should think about. Bobby I know her. And, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, if she hasn't been interviewed. She, you know, definitely thinking in terms of a bigger exhibition, uh, more fleshed out, um, something that his work can actually be seen over a period of time. Uh, most of my exhibitions I do for a month and a half, two months uh, long, because it really does. Honor the artwork when you mm-hmm. when you can spend time with it and come back and see it and see what you missed. Came to me after I prodded him again a couple months ago um, uh, with the idea of doing a show with his sons. Um, who are also artists, and I was like, absolutely, let's let's explore that and that creative DNA. Sean's pen and ink works on paper, as well as some, some acrylic and painted works on paper, and then mm-hmm. Dylan's uh, paintings uh, that you know, part of his studies with uh, UNLV right now. He's in the bachelor's program there, and then uh, Andrew's uh, works on paper. Who he's presently living in Portland, but you know, all started creating art here in Las Vegas, and uh, that's also key for the gallery, is the mission of the gallery, is to support artists that, you know, their roots are Las Vegas, Um, they're working hard, they're, you know, consistently uh, producing and exploring their own creative voices.
2: Yeah, I could spend hours up there because that's quite an impressive exhibition, isn't it? It is.
1: There's lots of talent there. And, including Nancy's work, you do all sizes, uh, we're looking <laughs> at a piece that, Steve, what would you say the measurements of that are? Well, I can tell you, <laughs> <laughs> this one is uh, 10 feet long by five feet tall, ten by five amazing, feet. and then I was looking at a little five inch by six inch, five inch by six inch. Yeah. The colors and, and uh, lines and the texture are just striking, and you work in many mediums. Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For my my larger paintings, it's primarily acrylic,
3: airbrush, latex, uh, oil, pastel, ink. Sometimes UV pigments. But I love I love mixing mediums in ways that are unexpected. I also do print work. This is a series of works. In fact, five of the hand pulled prints are in, being shown in. England right now, or London, London area. What's your surface there? This is linoleum, sheets of linoleum. Oh, I've never seen that. Look at that. Yeah, so see? that's, that's uh, lino cuts, and this is a softer linoleum. Oh, okay. But what's important about this particular series, I call it the Oracle series. Mm-hmm. It is the collaboration that I've done with AI, and so AI has the potential to be Quite abused by anybody but I also choose to recognize that we have long been in collaboration with AI uh, creatively from you know uh, programs such as Photoshop to the filters that are used on our phones that we can learn to still have the hand of the artist in the collaboration rather than just relying on you know the AI programs to create something and then we call it ours it's like no that's not quite how it how it works so what I did is I started with self-portraits of mine and entered them into an AI program, told it to give it the highest priority to my image, the image of my face. Then the next step, would, the priority was to consider my written prompts, my written words, what I wanted it to create from my image. Uh, which were tied to oracle, or mystic, or prophet, or seer, but also a a particular style. And then created images that then I chose from the images, and I chose a selection of five from a a whole series of images to create the first of the prints. And then I transferred them to sheets of linoleum, cut them out, and did you know the first test prints on on handmade paper. So it's like it comes from analog to digital, the, the you know the AI back to analog again. So the AI cannot hand. Cut a a linoleum sheet. It's 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 just not going to happen, and nor will it put it on. um, Like so, I did mono printing to create specific backgrounds for them. And this is a messed up test print, but it's Mm -hmm. it's a good enough example to. to, So I created backgrounds for each of them, and then printed, then hand embellished each one uh, very specifically. And so those are all on Instagram and Facebook as well.
1: This is fascinating, isn't it, Steve?
2: Yeah, really. It's it, cuz I had a question here to talk about AI, but uh-huh. you're explaining how you used it as as a middle as a middle person.
3: Yeah, as as a collaborator. Um, <laughs> I've long done a process of called A to D, where it's analog to digital, where I will take a photograph of my analog painting, my, you know, handmade painting, turn it into either a three D landscape or an animated three D landscape and then it's just little, you know, sixty sixty second videos that are fascinating that you it's like, Oh, wait a minute, you see the handwork but you're seeing something in a new way, and so I call that A to D. And these, these I was able to do A to D to A, so back to analog. Whereas, you know, that's been particularly fun for me. It kind of, I have a, a quirky sense of humor about. I'm always going to bring it back to the hand of the artist. What do you do when you feel stuck? I don't feel stuck. <laughs> I, I guess. I allow myself that feeling of, it's like, okay, well, I'm not doing what I think I want to do or, or feel like I'm getting progress, so I will do something else. And, and I've learned to just detach from that feeling so I, so I don't feel stuck. It's like, okay, well, it's time for me to take a break or it's time for me to play with a different medium or it's time for me to take a hike or a walk or play some music. Um, I actually teach uh, or have a presentation that I call How Do I Migu?" Yeah, so I have a presentation that I call How Do I Migu?" So it's it's motivation, inspiration, and getting unstuck. And I presented this up at uh, Reno um, International Art Show last September as a way to help people get motivated when they don't feel motivated. And, and that you know, we all have these moments in time where, you know, we just... I uh, thought I had it on here, but I guess I know it's on...
2: Like, I, I think the difference is some people get stuck and they stay stuck. Yeah. And maybe they use that as an excuse to that, not do what they were doing or, or can, bail out of it completely. Yeah, that
3: can happen. I actually have part of the workshop on my YouTube channel. But
1: Steve, look at all the stuff she works on at the same time. I mean, yeah, you look, how, how, you look yeah. around this studio. I just want to live here. It's amazing, <laughs> all the fun stuff, and I can tell you're working on several different projects at a time. Yeah, so so, so
3: I'll read you okay. the uh, description for how do we Migu, and, and, I, and I jokingly call, say, no, it's not a yoga position. Um, <sighs> coming from the philosophy that all people are artists in one form or another, artist, gallerist, and curator Nancy Good invites us to develop a healthy Migu motivation, inspiration, and getting unstuck practice in our creative pursuits, our relationships, and our day-to-day lives. From the simplicity of play to fearless and egoless collaboration, Nancy gets us to laugh at our tendencies to applaud the dubious lone wolf badge of honor and other isolating patterns that hamper both our artistic growth and joy. Believing we are better together and hashtag it takes a village Good's warmth and honest appreciation for the quirks of our species helps create a starting point for artistic with a little R in parents evolution or revolution of the most personal kind. So, you know, it's 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 like yes, we are all in need of those kind of you know motivations and inspirations regardless of whether we're artists or not you know it's it's like relationships friendships you know jobs the the mundane actions that you know we get lost in and and bored by and then feel like we're in a rut it's like well we have the tools to get out of those ruts let's do them practice them
1: I look around at your work, I see a lot of abstract or mm-hmm. Did you start out with a abstract style or did you start out with realism? In like coursework, definitely
3: uh, realism. But it was through photography and I think music even that I became more familiar and attuned to and appreciative of abstraction. Looking at the just snippets of things, you know, especially with, with photography and how I would choose to crop an image, um, what was the important part of that image. And sometimes it's a very abstract portion of, of something, whether it's color or shape or negative space or whatever whatever it was that, that further supported the story, but also kind of hinted at another story. That's one thing that I love about being an abstract artist and a conceptual abstract artist particularly, that there are so many stories. Because I am using the you know, the, the human journey and, and our human experience to inform what I paint, it's that recognition that we all have our individual stories, even though we have a lot of overlap and layers that will have that overlap. To me, that is where the magic happens, because then somebody will come and look at, at a piece that has many many layers to it visually and then they they may not understand all the the storytelling that i'm doing within those layers but they will recognize something that either appeals to them or you know makes them scratch their heads or they want to look deeper and so much of what i do is that invitation to look at something deeper and and i want people to take that with them when they leave the gallery when they step away from the artwork and go into their regular lives is like, look deeper. Much of my paintings will have hidden elements of uh, UV, things that you can't see unless you're looking under a, a black light. And that's also that literal invitation to look at something under a new light. We have so many things that we're faced with, we're bombarded with every day um, in, our, in our daily lives that... We don't understand or are frustrating or maddening or disappointing and all these things. It's like, well, sometimes maybe we need to look at it in in a new light um, or from a new perspective. My bigger mural works that were shown in in here in the gallery uh, a month ago had hidden typography that you could not see if you were standing straight in front of it. But if you shifted perspective to the piece, all of a sudden the light bounced on it differently, and then you could, it it was immediately revealed. And so again, new perspective, new position, new light. And that's been almost a lifelong philosophy of of looking at something from a different point of view, because we don't know everything about everything. Uh, I mean, I'm fully able to admit I don't know crap about me, let alone how could I say I know everything about you or you or the circumstances. Um, I can respond to things based on what I know, but if I don't know everything, is it the correct response?
2: We've interviewed some artists while they're creating a piece, will then either take a picture of it or will put it in front of a mirror to look at it backwards. Mm-hmm. Or if they take a picture of it, like fluid, who will look at it upside down mm-hmm. and said that he gains he helps himself by looking at it in a new perspective.
3: Uh-huh, absolutely. And and you know these works are so big that I'm either if I want to get reach all parts of them I have to have to either spend a great deal of time on the letters or I turn them upside down to access them and I do
2: that frequently. It's interesting. Hey, I think along the, the same vein, you said as a musician, I understand the need for dissonance mm-hmm. within a composition. Mm-hmm. And I looked up dissonance, it's lack of harmony. Mm-hmm. Okay, which then brings up a word that I've been just enthralled with lately. Um, and I hope I say it right: apapohemia. A Okay. Okay, and that is a bunch of items that are not connected. Mm-hmm. So I think you're talking about that mm-hmm. here that we can look at your one piece of art will have a number of items that are not necessarily connected.
3: Mm-hmm. It's back to storytelling again. It's like, you know, there's literary devices that authors will use to create confusion or to foreshadow or hint at or. Come out of left field at which will then resolve later, much you know like dissonance, um, but you know in the same same vein. And it's to me it's important that that a, that a work be I don't want to say always beautiful, but that pockets of it can be beautiful, but pockets of it can also be uncomfortable or or unexpected and potentially disturbing in some some way because it's not expected in you know next to something else the juxtapositions of things I think is really what that that term is talking about is that we can appreciate those visually appealing places in a painting when there is something that is not so visually appealing you know i would much rather have the whole story or the you know the the you know the multi-layered confusion the you know the even the motorcycle noise you know it's like that's that's
2: you know well, it's a podcast it's not good yeah i you, mean and it's you exactly. probably yeah we bought that motorcycle we asked him <laughs> yeah. to come by at this yeah. time
3: well and and you know the the real life experience of Not everything is, you know, I would not want sterile. I would not want a continuously controlled environment to create and and paint in. Nor would I want a continuously controlled environment to have, you know, relationship with people. Um, You know, there should be stimuli and unexpected stimuli. And how do we respond to that? And and how do we, you know, do we fix it later? Or do we just let it happen? Because this is the real-time experience.
2: Thank you. (laughs) With my apophenia.
3: <laughs> I'd have to see how it...
2: A-P-O-P-H-E-N-I-A.
3: Apophenia. 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 Yeah, I was like, I was thinking there had to be a P-H. Yeah,
1: apophenia. Nancy, yes. you had a traditional, formal background in education with the art. You said you well, did more for... realism and...
3: Yes, but not mm-hmm.
1: not in terms of like... Uh, did not
3: receive a you know a bachelor of fine arts and very much a uh, I guess more intuitive approach to studying. I loved loved making art, loved doing things. It's only been after I truly came back to the visual aspect of art as opposed to the musical aspect that I started appreciating certain you know rules of composition or you know uh, things that would be more of a technical nature, but still always create art
1: from an intuitive place. I was just going to ask, you're Mm self-taught a lot through Mm -hmm. experimentation, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Do you break the rules of art? (laughs)
3: Probably every single (laughs) moment. I don't really think of rules in terms of, you know, following or breaking. Mm -hmm. I definitely respect foundational Support and structures that help us be stronger artists. If we're not understanding the rules and the whys of the rules, then it may be difficult to fully develop as an artist and find our own particular voices because I believe every artist has their very unique voice. If we're all following the same rules all the time, then that's going to get very sterile again and, sure. and dry and uh, redundant and just not really a lot of flavor. I love that art has structure of a sort that
1: allows for, you know, the individual experience of an artist to tell their story. You were selected in 2019 and 2022, both years. Mm -hmm. You were selected from applicants across the state to participate in Nevada Arts Councils Basin mm-hmm. yeah. to range program. Wanna tell us a little bit of, about that? Yeah, that's it was a great, great program, and I'm
3: hoping they're able to do it again this year. The Nevada Arts Council recognized that the more metropolitan areas have a little bit more of support for the arts and artists in their communities than these rural areas. And what would happen if we created partnerships and relationships between the more, you know, populated areas and the more rural areas. So I was able to partner with the St. Mary's Arts Center, even though it's still close to Reno, it's still a teeny tiny community. And we created a traveling exhibit specifically Exquisite Corpse, which is one of my favorite workshops to teach. And what is that? I, I've I will go wondering. into that. I will go into that. So back to the BRX mm-hmm. first, uh, Erica Perry, who is the executive director for St. Mary's. You know, we knew we wanted to create something that could travel, that artists could collaborate with each other. They were, you know, it's like, well, how can we do this? And I suggested Exquisite Corpse because it is the easiest way for an artist to collaborate with another artist. The premise is, you know, say, say you've got a piece of paper, it's folded in half. In fact, I'm going to grab the pieces hanging up back here from the last workshop I taught. The first artist would draw, paint, create something on the top half of a piece of paper, or it could be in thirds, and then a very faint line drawn to delineate, delineate where the next artist would begin, the connector points, and then that is actually cut, covered up so the other artist never sees what's on top. And then the other artist just creates what they want. And the synchronicity and the fun of what happens is just—it's—it's it's magical. It's humorous. It's uh, surprising. It's entertaining, and it's one of the art forms that you know in art and art workshops that I that I teach that I tell people: it's like you can't fail. There's no there's no failure that can happen because it doesn't matter your skill level, even if you're just doing doodles or you know just abstract swaths and shapes of stuff, I've got a tremendous number of examples of it that somebody just did an abstracted brush stroke of, of things, and somebody did a beautiful, uh, you know, hip and, and thigh and, and calf right below that, that even though, you know, it wouldn't have made sense otherwise, mm-hmm. it visually and artistically, it made perfect sense. And it's a fun exercise to teach to all ages. I mean, I've taught it to six to 12 year olds, to 70 to 90 year olds, and and everybody has a great time. The reveal is what's probably the most fun. So when I get them back from the workshop, everything is covered up. And then we have the final reveal at the end to show what's going on, and usually it's, a lot of laughter, <laughs> because a lot of it is very silly. A lot of it can be inadvertently suggestive, which is hilarious. You know, depending again on the age of the the artists and whether we're collaging or drawing. I had uh, a senior citizen course that I taught. Somebody ended up with a camera lens in the the crotchel area,
1: <laughs> and it
3: was a riot. And the, everybody is just howling because you know it was it was completely. Innocent and inadvertent, mm-hmm. but physically where it ended up was just hilarious. And it's like you know, yes, we we, we can laugh at ourselves.
1: How fun is this, Steve? Yeah,
2: that's great. Isn't it
1: great? You and I could do that even. Could we? Well,
2: oh, well, you absolutely. you could do a lot. I I could probably. Yeah, I could probably do that. But there would be a lot of laughter. That was to do a. I'm not say a person, of uh, being. And, and and the person on top knew that they were drawing the top of the bean the person on the bottom knew that they were yeah. drawing the bottom of the bean
3: and it, and it doesn't even have to be a being it could be I've, I've had some where people did a vase mm-hmm.
2: on top but they both but both artists knew that they were drawing a vase no or both no. artists knew they no. Were, right? no
3: no no the other artists did not know what the the previous are at all isn't oh. that fun oh. i love oh. that part <laughs> and that's why it that's i ta- talk about it as being one of the easiest and the most egoless collaborative collaborative processes and um, because neither artist knows what the other artist is doing there's no way to control the agenda of the piece the color palette the only things that you know we consider is that there is a meeting point of the two two or three or four point whatever it is of the you know top to the bottom and uh, that the uh, piece is not degraded on either side.
2: Oh, how fun. Yeah, it is
1: great fun. You're a frequent recipient of grants by the Nevada Arts Council. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And that supports your work. You were telling mm-hmm. me a little earlier mm-hmm. it supports your work for any exhibits you might want to do in future galleries mm-hmm. or just experimentation mm-hmm. on your own. Yeah. So you're a grant writer as uh, well as yeah, an artist. Yeah, I you had to get that Left yeah, braid going yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Are you on NAC's
3: roster of artists? I don't think I am, and I think it's because I always forget about the deadline and when uh, they when they put the call out and, and I need to get on that for myself, yes.
1: You might want to do that sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's it's a lot of lot of work.
3: I mean running the gallery, um, Sure. How do you switch back and forth? That's what I couldn't do. Because I do do. have right brain, left brain balance. Okay, Um, I did not. I couldn't do it both. Yeah, I'm incredibly analytical as as well as uh, intuitive. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's
1: just, (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
3: well, I mean, I can't claim credit for it. It's, you know, it's the way I'm, you know, I'm made, you know, my father is incredibly analytical himself, a Mensa member, you know, very intellectual, and my mother is more on the creative side, and somehow I got that,
1: there you go, right in the middle balance. And, uh, which um, makes perfect sense. You're an artist, you own a gallery, you do all the business stuff. Yeah, It's fantastic.
2: And Nancy, you're a musician, Mm -hmm. so everybody hates this question, (laughs) but I keep, I keep going at it. So if I say, if the perfect song could be written or created, Uh would there be any need for visual art?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: But there's a perfect song.
3: Perfect song is not is only tackling a certain number of uh, senses. Okay. You know, art is a language. Uh, the written word is a language. Reading a book, you know, it's the same, same thing. Um, music has a different way of uh, delivering its language to us, uh, you know, audibly and of vibrations. Dance is a language. You know, filmmaking is a language. We need them all.
1: Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Oh, my,
3: my two favorite words that I use with my mentees when, when, I'm, when somebody comes and says, what do I do? Show up it's 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 deceptively simple but when you start thinking about those two words with what it is you want to do it's you know show up for the galleries you want to be in show up for other artists you might want to work with or learn from show up for yourself in your discipline and your practice and your learning show up for your family show up for your friends you know it's just it's amazing what happens when you just show up every day consistently and it doesn't have to be all the things every day but pick the one that you want to focus on show up for that you want to learn a new medium play with it. I mean, I've, I have a practice of every year, I will learn to play with a new medium. I'm running out of mediums, but, <laughs> and running out of space for the mediums, but it has definitely helped me grow as an artist because then I have more tools to use to create art. Mm-hmm. The, the last... Last year, I focused on alcohol inks and pushing the boundaries of, you know, how I could play with them and learn from them and use them, and but also what happens if I do this, mm-hmm. even though that's not what they're telling me to do, but what happens. Finding that those kind of experimentations and learning um, really serve me well in my visual language because then I can combine things in ways that are pleasing to me, but playful and fun and never static. Uh, I mean, that's... You know, people ask me about my dots, you know, because it's like endless number of dots mm-hmm. or endless number of little hairs. And it's like, doesn't that take forever? Don't you get bored? I like, no, it's, it, nothing about it is boring. You know, even the repetitions,
1: it's part of the visual language of vibration to me. So when you say show up, mm-hmm. that could include show up for classes or show up for yourself, even if absolutely. you're in your pajamas working absolutely. at home. Absolutely, right? absolutely, you Just, know. Do the with, art. Yeah,
3: yeah, you know, or show up on it for a YouTube video where mm-hmm. you want to learn something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the resources that we have now to learn how to do things far exceeds, I mean, exponentially exceeds what we had when, you know, we're, we're of a certain age that uh, we, we didn't have any of this to mm-hmm. learn from and, you know, that we could learn it from what's in our pocket and learn it anywhere in the world um you know so now it's like there's no excuse for people
1: not to show up for what they say they want and do you have advice for aspiring artists about handling rejection oh gosh yes yes because i am rejected 80 percent of the time no
3: oh absolutely absolutely that's that's par for the course and it's not the rejection is not always tied to the quality of the work. In fact, most of the time it's not about that, unless you're absolutely not paying attention and sending in crap. But most of the time it is about just a differing vision of the curator, or the available space of the exhibition uh, venue, or that there's been 20 photographs submitted and only 15 paintings, so there might be a rejection because they need more paintings. or. Rejection based on there's too many pieces in a certain color palette, or thematically, you know, subject matter, and the curator wants a balance of things. And there's no way for the artist who's submitting work to know all of the other pieces that are being submitted. One of the things that I've, I've learned as a, an exhibiting artist and one who submits to exhibitions and, and other opportunities is that rejection can be encouraging. Or it can be something that is just, for lack of a better word, you know, very insensitive. So when I started, I have a, have a annual juried show that I've d- done for five years. So this coming up, uh, the one that late summer will be the sixth annual Use Other Door. And it invites artists from around the country. It's the only show that I invite artists from around the country to submit works to. And even if I have to reject an artist, I applaud their courage. In submitting, knowing that there is a chance to be rejected, and that you know there could be any number of reasons, and please don't let that deter you from submitting in the future. Keep up with the the, the work. Keep growing as an artist. Keep taking chances. I mean, life's full of rejection. We <laughs> you know. You say you're missing out.
1: wanna tell us about some future projects and goals that you have?
3: Sure. Future projects for the gallery. I'm very excited for the, the March show is a collaboration with an international Biennale. Biennale, or biennial, it's an exhibition project that occurs every two years. And I have uh, fostered and developed a relationship with a woman out of Ontario who focuses on the imbalance of representation of women in the arts. So we've got uh, two women that will be um, doing a two-person show here in this space same time that there will be other galleries around the world participating in this Biennale. And so that's, I'm very excited about that to have, you know, some international uh, collaboration. And then, uh, um, yeah, just keeping on, keeping on with the uh, paintings. Um, I'm finishing up the Year of the Dragon piece, which is the, the red piece over there. It's one of the Few times that I will actually sketch out something ahead of time. Most of the time, it's whatever starts to happen on a canvas is what starts the, can- the painting. But you're the dragon. I'm always conscious of both honoring the culture and creating something that is fits the theme of the exhibition. So the city does their Chinese New Year's exhibition every year, and this this year is the dragon. You
1: had mentioned that women are underrepresented mm-hmm. in art. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that? a real challenge? Oh, absolutely. You? Absolutely.
3: As just a woman in general, we have enough challenges. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because that's mm-hmm. quite extensive. But historically, women have not had the same benefits that the male artists have had. Um, just the percentages that are collected and shown in, in major museums. They've you know they've well documented that it is a fraction of male artists. And it's not because there aren't women artists. Um, I'm a member of uh, the National Association of Women Artists, which is based out of New York. It's 134 years old as far as an arts organization specifically to address that particular issue. Members have gone on to create the Whitney Museum in New York. A high profile of artists that have done phenomenal things. Uh, uh, Judy Chicago was one of the, has been a member in the past. And it's a, the membership that women artists can be a member, but then there's a signature member where you're actually juried in. And so, again, you could have the potential, potential to be rejected, which my first time mm-hmm. applying, I was rejected. I wasn't going to give up on that. And, and, you know, much like writing grants, if you're not mm-hmm. presenting yourself in the way that's going to get the grant and connect with the grant the the funding that's available you're not going to get it and it's the same thing with other opportunities if you aren't understanding the parameters of the you know the submission to present yourself in the best light then you're going to be rejected mm-hmm. so uh just you know keep going but yeah it's important for me to always balance representation in the gallery as well so it's like you know do I have more male artists coming in, um, seeking to be shown in the gallery? Absolutely, and it's not because there aren't great women artists. We have a different um, mindset about our art. Uh, sometimes it's almost a detriment because our egos tend to be a little more detached mm-hmm. from art and, and what we create, and 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 maybe there's more humility, so we don't aggressively pursue the opportunities as much as male artists will. But male artists. Yeah. Male, no, male, male artists, uh, oh, that's yeah. you. Yeah.
2: That's you. She's a great artist. You
1: <laughs> pointed yeah. I was looking outside. I know, we're all, I'm like, who are you talking the about? the podcast listeners, we've got a lot of hand action going on. We're all looking
3: around like, what, what, what? So, but, but yeah, so, so male artists have been taught that they should expect success and, hmm. an invitation. And so that expectation leads to them getting more opportunities because they put themselves out there more and now it's teaching women that it's okay for them to be uh, more self-assured about their art and that they can do that while still being humble um, you know women I t- think tend to try to avoid the egotistical stance about their art almost to their detriment and and I know I'm guilty of that I have friends that's like you keep you know you're. it's not like you're putting yourself down but you're certainly not elevating yourself in the truest Mm -hmm. sense it's like well i'm not the one that i don't need to elevate myself i'm just going to keep creating artwork but there still needs to be a balance of how women learn to promote themselves without the ego but with with honesty and and a celebration of this is who i am do i think i'm a monumental blue chip artist No, I don't have any delusions of that. Am I a good artist? Yeah, I I know I'm a good artist. Do I sell my art? Yeah, I sell my art. Do I want to have blue chip status? I don't know. That comes with its own headaches. Um, A lot of these blue chip artists became blue chip artists because they were hyped by other people, not because they actually had the skill or the the value uh, and talent as an artist. And then what happens when they get past that first hyping, well, then they crash and burn because they can't sustain it. People aren't really interested and they, you know, it's like their cover's blown, so to speak. It's not always the case, but historically we, we've seen it happen. For, for me, I'd rather just keep showing up and making the art that most authentically represents what I, what I have to say or what's making me laugh this particular day or what's breaking my heart this particular day. And sometimes they're both in the same painting. Most of the time they are. And uh, so
1: you bring up some really good points when i think about the old masters who i learned about in art class i think van gogh Mm -hmm. ruben picasso even andy warhol Mm -hmm. and then where are the women the women are there historically women
3: were relegated to raising a family and and you know taking care of a household and so the art came later once the children grew i mean i still get women artists coming in here who have finally retired from their jobs and taking care of their kids and it's like I want to get back into art I love art Mm -hmm. it's like okay it's never too late to get back but they've lost 30 years of their own artistic development Mm -hmm. and that's the expectation still to this day sadly and Um, and
2: think what could have been created in those 30 years absolutely
3: absolutely where would they be now you know it's it's that's why, I mean, to me, I'm 63 years old, so time is precious to me. I still plan on being here another 40 years. She's a baby, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. But, but that's just, that's just <laughs> it. It's, it's still, you know, I plan on being here, you know, in, in appreciation of, okay, this is what I did, you know, my first 50 years. If I've got another 50 years after that, that's hallelujah, but I might not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to show up every day. But not, I'm not just showing up for myself. I'm showing up for the people in my community that also need people showing up for them but to show them that it's important and that it's okay to take that time for yourself and to focus on yourself and to show up for yourself it's not you know it's not selfish to be to become an artist it's not selfish to learn how to do a new craft or medium or technique or whatever that's part of who you are and that's developing you and you don't know where it's going to bring you
2: and that's with art in science there's many women wives who created what then the husband mm-hmm. took credit for mm-hmm. because the woman wasn't going to get credit mm-hmm. for.
1: And archaeology as well.
2: Archaeology right. as Absolutely.
3: well. Absolutely. Oh, well, and writers, you know, mm-hmm. women writers who had to uh, write under a, a pseudonym mm-hmm. because they would never be accepted um if it, if they had a female author's name.
2: Husbands are terrible.
3: No, no, it's and I don't I don't ever put the the blame fully on on men. It's it's you know the the governing bodies or the the religious yeah. teachings uh, interpretations were were a flawed species. So as much as we like to say we we follow you know this or that teaching, which on its surface looks really really good, well. Where did that teaching, what was it originally translated from? And and so, you know, again, diving deeper into what is real, looking at it from a new perspective. You know, what we've been taught is not always the whole story. And so I'm, I'm glad to say that men are starting to catch up in terms of what we've been aware of uh, related to women artists and going, Oh, yeah, that is what's been
1: going on. And that's not right. So, you know, there's a lot of advocacy that's happening in 2020. You founded Core Arts Concord, mm-hmm. a non-up an arts nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I'm realizing
3: that the gallery, I still wanted to have the for-profit gallery, but I wanted to be able to have an educational component of the gallery that could further support artist development, um, have an artist-in-residence program, classes, things that could roll over in very positive ways for our, our arts community, aside from just you know, providing an exhibition. Strangely enough, it was like, well, it's during the pandemic, I I don't really have anything else to do, so let's uh, form a nonprofit. <laughs> it's, it's still operating on a shoestring budget, but I've had three really great artists in residence in the in the space. First one was upstairs in my old gallery space, and they've done phenomenal things. I mean, I'm just I love watching the experimentation that happens. The just when someone is given the space to create, especially something that outside of their own home, it's not on their kitchen table or a spare room, that they have room to kind of start stretch out and stretch their wings creatively. Magic happens. The first artist has done really amazing things and has, it's instilled a courage for him to try new things. The second artist did studies around resistance, um, including, you know, electrical sound waves, you know, the science of resistance, but also emotionally, mentally, what do we resist in our own lives, and then created a phenomenal body of work that then showed in the gallery. The current artist-in-residence is creating a new medium, mixing art, science, and technology. And uh, um, that's all I can say about it, because it's very proprietary, and he's getting patents for for what he's doing, and and it's exciting for for me to watch that just by simply providing space to someone to follow a, a thread. Mm-hmm. No no matter where that may go, um, I think we need more of that patronage. I, mean, I really do. I mean, it's sad that we don't have true patrons of the art like the old times in in Europe and things like that. Um, but we're trying to trying to do it little by little.
2: You're an adjunct faculty member uh-huh. for Roseman University mm-hmm. Medical School, and I found it interesting that you said. Um, advocate to build bridges between art and science. Yes. And Linda and I volunteer at our new STEM center mm-hmm. in, in, in Mesquite. Now I'm, that,
3: I'm giving a big sigh because it should never be just STEM. Well,
2: well, you, have, you <laughs> haven't let me finish. Yet, yeah, actually, no, we it's it's yeah, yeah. it's the Steam Center. Yes. yes. Okay, Thank so you. I'm saying STEM. The but,
3: angels are singing.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> agriculture because we have agriculture and one of the things i wanted to do up there was so can you talk about why art is a key component of stem so my real question is can you have stem without can you have stem without a
3: no you can't i mean even thinking of the the tools that we use to to study to research the machinery that doctors use those still had designers. Those still had you know people who understood um, you know draftsmanship, architecture, d- you know design. Design is an art. You cannot have the things that that you know medical practitioners use without an artist actually drawing it out and then okay, this is what it's looked like in two dimensions on a piece of paper. Now we've got to create that and manufacture that. So there is no science without art. But people have, I think, misconstrued. The breadth and and the the width of what art is. It's not just what's on the wall. It's it's how we create things in our mind, our thought process. Um, you know how we discover things. Um, there is an art to analysis. There's an art to science of of you know uh, critical thinking and researching. It's like well, if this is happening here and this is happening here, what this might be happening over here. I mean, I do that every day on a painting. If you know. What happens when I do this? What happens when, you know, the chemistry of, of different paints and mediums, what happens when I mix them together? Sometimes they play really well together, sometimes they don't. But sometimes that those moments when they don't play well together is exactly what I'm looking for because it provides some tension. So, yeah, art is definitely uh, critical to science. Um, and that's just my small... You know, a soapbox speech on it, and it is, and and thankfully, with the uh, Roseman University, the, the dean, pretty much the the founder of the whole medical school, Greer, Jean Joe Greer, President Joe Greer, I should say, he has long recognized that having an artistic component in the education of doctors makes for better doctors, and it's I, I want to say it's not science, but it, but it is, but it's it's about developing the whole person and if we're only developing left brain uh, we're never going to see the whole picture of things um, you know I mean our bodies are a work of art the interior the, the things that we see under a slide are I mean they're breathtakingly beautiful at their smallest components and so if we start looking at the science of medicine or the science of, of other things as a work of art we connect deeper we connect on, on levels that we just can't, intellect, you know, wholly intellectually.
2: If you could go back in time in the art world, where would you go and why?
3: Oh, man, I don't even know that I would go back.
2: You might be surprised that it's been females, too, that have said, I wouldn't go back. Yeah. Because there wasn't the opportunities for me. Right. Yet. Well,
3: I and it's not even because of that. It's just because I love where I am right now, and I'm so excited about what's, what's to come. I have often said to, to friends of mine, it's like, I have so many things in my head that I want to create more than I know that I have lifetime to do so. And that excites me to no end because it's like I will never stop until I take my last breath. And some of my friends are just horrified of that. It's like, but but you won't finish this. You won't finish this. Like, I won't care. You know, I mean I <laughs> That's I, won't, true. I I you mean know. I won't know. And and then somebody else will think of it. No, I mean I love where I am now, yeah, I
2: just blank piece of canvas. The mm-hmm. zamboni has just cleaned the canvas off. <laughs> all right, and well, I love the, hockey,
3: and, so I'm and, like, okay, I want to see a zamboni right. up on its side.
2: <laughs> so there, the zamboni's done. You got a blank piece of canvas, and you're about ready to touch, touch, brush, or paint or charcoal to canvas. Mm-hmm. Where do you start? Upper left, upper right, it's bottom, never, it's center. Never,
3: it's never the same place twice. Okay. I mean, it just never is. It's never the same color twice. It's never the same technique twice as far as a beginning. I do know I'm going to be working in blues the next painting. Uh, that's all I know at this point, just because. And why are you going to be working in blues? Just that's what I felt motivated to do. new okay. And particularly... That blue, I was like, oh, yeah, I really like that. That's like, what's pretty happening. blue. Yeah. And I've done, you know, I did one other uh, smaller painting that was pretty much, the. It's called The Language of Blues. And, and it's like, I need to do a big one.
2: Okay, my last dumb question.
3: <laughs> <laughs> They're never dumb.
2: <laughs> Lefty, righty, or ambidextrous?
3: Primarily right, but I can paint with my left hand as well. Uh, my father is definitely ambidextrous. Um, I've had times where I've overworked this this wrist and this hand that I that I had to, it's
2: like, oh. okay,
3: well, mm-hmm. I can do dots with, with this hand. I can do lines and, and you know, it's just a, a different perspective.
2: What's inspired you this past week?
3: <sighs> yeah, you know, when people are kind to each other, When when, when I see something that somebody does for somebody else that that helps them advance or move forward. The the kindness of Sean, the artist Sean, including his sons, and not just taking an exhibition for himself, which he could have easily had a solo exhibition, um, but he included his sons. To me, that's a kindness. That's a that's something that is removing ego from way of showing his work. Yeah, it's just there's so many ways that we can be kind that that don't have to be these humongous, magnanimous gestures. It's just, hey, you know, you need you need I mean, I've had homeless guys come in, it's like, Can I have a piece of paper? you know, because he's he's an artist and he needs a piece of paper to draw on and it's like, Yeah, sure, you know, here's a piece of paper and you know, and sometimes I'll, you know, you need a pencil, It's like, yeah, and, and, you know, so it's just little, little things that either alleviate some pain in somebody else or help somebody feel they're not alone. I mean, that's what inspires me. It's like, you know, I mean, everything that I'm interpreting on, on my paintings is finding those places of commonality that we have as human beings that, that, you know, we're all made up of the same stuff. We're all experiencing pretty much the same stuff, maybe in different orders, different timelines. Um, But if we are fully aware of that, then why aren't we kinder to each other? Why aren't we more compassionate, more empathetic with each other? Because it's like, I know what it's like to have my heart ripped out. You know, I've lost people that I adore, um, some brutally, some, you know, that, you know, will I ever have justice for? Probably not. But... Do I live with hate, or do I live with you know venom and animosity, or do I find the places where the kind people are, where I find places where there's joy? You know, we have such potential as a species to be happier, to be you know, more fulfilled, and
1: to me, that always comes through kindness. Nancy, thank you so much for spending the time uh, showing us all your beautiful pieces of art in your studio and talking with us about your art. It was a fantastic interview wasn't it Steve it was
2: amazing and I want to do handstands right through studio <laughs> and I'm so happy this was so good
1: I'm going to go shopping I've been waiting to go back <laughs> she I has had to a go couple pick pieces. Out her pieces I was looking that yeah. she did I'd love to get a piece of Nancy's art oh thank you so well, Nancy, thank you
3: thank
2: you I, I hope we can collab collaborate more in the future? I would, I would love future. to.
3: I would love because to because
2: you know all the same people we know and
3: I know it takes a village.
2: That's <laughs> hashtag, right.
1: Hashtag
3: it takes a village. <laughs> but yeah, and thank you so much for doing this because again, you're you know you're doing something that is benefiting your community and the people who are also trying to create art and communicate who they are through art and we need it all.
1: So thank we you.
3: Do. Yeah.
2: Thank you.
0: broadcasting from the Mesquite Works Steam Center in the scenic Mojave Desert. The ArtBox sponsors thank you for listening. You can find us on Spotify and Amazon Music. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We welcome all comments. You can email us at artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.